morning, church family. Rise and shine. Give God your glory, glory this morning. What I do is I'm going to ask for a little bit more lighting up here for me there, Jim. Hey, if you're here for the very first time, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a blessed thank you. Light, let there be light. There we go. Here we go. I can see. I can see now. I, the fine print. I got new eyes, but man, I got, I got to have fine print here. If you're here for the very first time, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and just blessed that you're here with us here and online and what we'll do is we're going to start off here as uh, we've been doing here is reading uh, the word together so please stand with me as we read out loud the scripture I selected this morning the scripture is found out of Romans chapter 8 verses 35 through 39 and go ahead and please read with me here Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we thank you for this truth, and we thank you, Lord, that we can in unity read your word. And in your truth. Use your truth, Lord. Use your word to speak to our hearts. Mold us, shape us. Help us to draw closer to you, Lord. And to understand and to hear and to know what you have for us this day. In Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 9. If you've been with us, you remember reading last week out of Revelation chapter 8 verse 13. It states there, as you see in your Bible, And I looked, and I heard, an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. We will see today the fifth and sixth trumpet of seven trumpets. It's also referred to as the first and second woes that are referenced here in that verse 13 of chapter 8, the final three angels sounding off the fifth and sixth and seventh trumpet. And as we progress through these trumpets, the intensity and the severity increases. 
You always ask the question, why do we see these patterns and why do we see these things happening within the scripture? You must take note of those as you study the scripture. And you'll find in the book of Revelation, God's grace and mercy is shown throughout all of this. Yes, he's a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. We're now in the emphasis of our God, of the God of justice. And then even through the God of justice as described and seen through these perilous times and the end times, the, during the seven year period of time, the tribulation time, we see his grace and his mercy because as he's increasing the intensity, that is to get a hold of the people's heart that are here on this earth. Because remember, you and I as the bride of Christ. The church of the time, before the seven-year tribulation period started, we were raptured. We were caught up to the clouds to meet our Savior. We're sitting in the heavenlies. But those who rejected the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is, and because their stubborn stiff-neckedness, the rebellion against the things of God... As we see in the scripture, those who choose and love darkness over light. These are the inhabitants of the earth that is referenced here in verse 13 of chapter 8. And through God's grace has given opportunity after opportunity through the seven seals. Through the first four of the trumpets. And as we see, they get more and more intense. Trying to get people's attention to come to a point of, of, of turning their life to Christ. Do you remember the first four seals and, and, and trumpets have a lot in common here? The first four seals, they were about the four uh, horsemen, the apocalypse, and, the, and bringing that tyranny, that, that dictatorship that comes into play after the church is gone. The one world government, the one world religion, these things that you hear about peripherally, even as non-believers hear these things. They've watched the, the apocalypse movie, isn't that true? You could only hope it was that tr true if you were left behind because that is minor compared to what the reality is happening according to the scripture. But dictatorship and tyranny will come and play. War will happen. Famine will happen. Death on this earth will happen. And it's not localized in the Middle East. This is a cost globally. We saw the first four trumpets. These were the ecological, the whole, the whole you think climate change is, going to, is the biggest problem. Well, you have no clue what that really means until the, year, the seven-year tribulation. Their whole ecosystem is going to be disrupted for those who are here. Vegetation. The seas will be contaminated. The, the fresh waters will be contaminated. Even the sky, the universe will be affected by this. The last three seals, if remember, focused upon heaven, the cry of the martyrs, the, the cosmic disturbances, the heavenly prelude of the seven trumpets. And then we took a look at last week, the last the, 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 the trumpets, as, as, as we saw, that take a long, or it's the same thing, those the disturbances that we will see. But the last three trumpets 
will speak of hell and in terms of demonic forces. The intensity is coming, and we will see that here in our scripture today. We find that the, fir- the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. The text is clear, my brothers and sisters. There is a star. The star is not of an asteroid, a meteor. But in the Greek, we find that this is a person. It's referencing a being. We see that very common in the scriptures. We've already seen that as we've read the book of Revelation. The star is referred to angels many, many times. But here we see the star is a person to him. He says, to him was given the key. This person didn't have power. This person didn't have control. But God gave this person, this being, a key to somewhere very specific called the bottomless pit. The abyss, the abuso. A place that was designed to to house these very wicked fallen angels at the time. And ultimately will be the place where will be temporarily locked up Satan and all the demonic forces for a thousand years. It's this place, the shaft to the center. A pit, a dark pit, a hot pit, a smoky pit, as we will see. But as we remember in context, here is God opening up and asking that fifth angel to sound. Jesus says, now it's time to play your note. The great conductor, the one who is sovereignly in control of all of this, is asking the next to fifth angel to sound the note. To play that trumpet sound. And we see that when he's asking this being to open up and to take the key and go to open the bottomless pit, something is going to happen here. The verb tense, notice the verb tense. Fallen. Fallen from this, this, this being I saw. John says, I saw a star. This being fallen from heaven, has already have fallen. Not that you saw him, look at, there he goes. No, no, he had already fallen. He was already in the position of a fallen state. And because of this indication of already had fallen, this, this, this being, the question is always debated, who is the star? Who is this being? That John saw in a fallen state. All kinds of suggestions are are brought about. Wild things. It must be Nero. No, no, it has to be a fallen angel. No, no, it's an evil spirit. No, no, it's the word of God. It's a good angel. It's Jesus himself. No, no, it's Satan. And people go everywhere with this thing. But if you keep the scripture in context, the star is best seen as an angel. The question is, is it a good angel or a bad angel? 
And so you say, oh, what would determine that? But you have to look in the relationship of the angel of the bottomless pit. When we look at chapter 9, verse 11, the verse 11 here of our scripture today. The question is, I don't see that angel, this angel being the same angel that is referenced in verse 11. But I do know that it more likely for many people will have a lean toward they're both of a, of a demonic force of these angels that are referencing. But if you say, no, I think this is a good angel that God is calling out to go take the key and open up the bottomless pit, I'm good with that for you too. Because it doesn't matter if it's a good angel or a bad angel. You know that. The point is here that God is making, that John is, is bringing to light to you and I, is that there is a key and God gave him this angel, I believe is an angel, and it can be Satan. Don't get me wrong, because some people believe this is Satan. And I can give you some scripture here to kind of lean toward that as well. Because perhaps it is Satan. But when I read to verse 11, I find that angel is actually the king over the other demonic forces in the pit. So there's no, there's no other angel. It might be another hierarchy, remember, because the principalities and darkness, there's a hierarchy of dem demonic forces. So I have a tendency to lean the fact that it's probably a good angel that God has given and said, go open up the bottles of the pit because it's now the sound is going to happen. That's the, that's the trumpet sound. It's the opening up the pit. Opening up the dark forces and letting them loose on this fallen world, on this fallen inhabitants who have been rejecting me. And when we see the king of those over in the demonics, then I, I, I'm, I will lean more towards Satan on that aspect. More of a ruler position. And you might have a different position than that. That's fine. But it may be a good angel sent by God to open up the bottoms of the pit for a purpose of judgment. Remember, that's the purpose. But many can say, what about Satan? Well, Satan fell from heaven because God kicked him out of heaven at the beginning of the great tribulation, which is at the three and a half year mark, which is where we're at. And that's why many people will lean towards Satan. Where do you see that? We'll go back. We'll be reading chapter 12, verse 9. And the great, tribula great tribulation begins halfway through that tribulation. And Satan, who is Lucifer turned devil, is highlighted here. We see it also in the Old Testament. Let me give you a couple for you to go back and read today. I'll read one, a couple of them today. One is out of Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. It describes this moment. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the Most High. See, he wanted to be like God. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. So we see where Satan headed. 
God cast him out because he tried to be God. He wanted to be God of his life. He was a created being by God. We also see in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus saw when, when Lucifer was kicked out. God gave a key out to allow the demons of the abyss to come out and torment the earth. It's the bottomless pit is the residence of demons. It is a place of confinement for the worst of the fallen angels. Now, regardless of who is this star, is the fact that he is given the key to the bottomless pit makes us not want to associate him with of Satan. That's why I lean away from that a little bit. Why? Because the idea that Satan is the master of hell is really foreign in the rest of the scripture. We always say, oh, Satan is ruling down in, in, in hell. And he's, you don't see that in the scripture. We create things. I look at that and I say, no, he was and will be heaven, or hell's victim, not ruler. Satan and all the demonics will be under lock and key and torment. With all of those who do not believe. At the same time, we notice that the key is given to this being and that it is given at a very specific time for a specific purpose that furthers God's plan. This angel, evil or good, serves God's purpose. Even though the angel may not understand the intent of it. Some wonder where this pit is. Exactly where is this bottomless pit? Because I want to avoid that pitfall. The most straightforward answer I can give to you is the fact that it's in the center of the earth. Because when you look at a sphere and, and something round, there is, there's always just a top. There is nothing in the bottom, right? It's bottomless. Because every time you, whatever angle you look, you're looking to the top. You're not looking at the bottom. Now, some think we'll think this bottomless pit is in nature. It's just symbolic only. It's not a place. But the abuso is real. And it's the prison for certain demons. And if you go back and study Luke 8.31 and 2 Peter 2.4 or Jude 6, this is the same place as the bottomless pit. It's also referred to in, in very much the same as Hades we see in Romans 10.7. Let me read to you Luke chapter 8 and some of the verses there. It says, then they sailed to the country. Oh, and again, it just gives you a perspective here. Here, if you remember in the scripture here in Luke, Jesus' disciples are coming across the Galilee. And they come into the country of the Gadarenes. You know the story. 
It's the opposite of Galilee. If you've ever been there and you come across, you take the boat across, it's an it's amazing ride across the Galilee. But when Jesus steps off the boat with his disciples, he is met by a demonic man. And this demonic man comes to Jesus here. And as they look at this and this, this demonic, everyone knows who this man is. He's well known because he was living in the tombs and he was always, he's no, not wearing clothes. So he's kind of got an attention of the people there. So he didn't live in a house, he lived in the tombs, he's naked, he's there, he's, uh, he's out of his mind, they can't constrain him, and he sees Jesus, Jesus sees him, and what does he do? He falls down at the feet of Jesus, because he knew Jesus, God, was right there in his presence. And what does he say to him? What have I to, uh, what have I to do with you, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. What does Jesus say to him? Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he says, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they turned around and begged Jesus that he, they would not command them to go down and into the abyss the bottomless pit. They know of this place. They didn't want to be there. Some of their buddies were already thrown in there. Remember the, in the scripture, those who were, were mating or sleeping with women in the time when they were released, they were thrown in to this pit early on. These were not yet, and they will be. They were begging not to do so. What happened? There was a herd of swine, and he was, gave permission to them to enter the swine, and the swine went over the, the cliff into the water. We also see in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, Satan confined in the abyss for the thousand years, and at the end of the thousand years, God will allow them to be released. We'll talk more about that when we get there. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. This is very clear where this place is. Do I need to know specifically? No, I don't. I just know where we're going to be. If you're a child of God, we'll be in heaven. And so what happened? When that key was placed in there and opened it to the bottomless pit, what was the result of that? Well, we see in the scripture here in verse 2, he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. We're going to see this word like. It's not from California. Like, 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 like. Maybe they were reading the scripture. Maybe that's where they get that from. I don't think so. Maybe so. Like is a word to describe something that John couldn't put words to, but kind of try to pick a picture for the readers, for the understanding of the, of the readers, what he was seeing, because he couldn't quite figure it out. He's never seen this before. You've been there. Something happens, like, well, what happened? Well, it's kind of like, you know, you know, you go in the same kind of conversations here. 
It was like, no question, there was smoke arose out of the pit like a smoke out of a great furnace. John saw a great furnace before. Something of a great burning thing. And he's like, it was like a great furnace, a great heating element here, and smoke bellows out of that baby when it gets hot. That's what it was like. You mean when the pit door was open, there wasn't a party of all the guys down there saying with their buddies partying down there? What? When you go back and you're talking to your buddies and you say, oh, my buddies are already down in hell. I'm gonna, I can't wait to get down there. We're going to be partying. Read them the scripture, please. The smoke is not going to be some dance thing going on down there with the music and the smoke screens going on, you know, with lights. It's going to be hot. Because notice here, this is a global effect. This is not regional. However that opens up, a great smoke will come. Why? To a degree that the sun and the air will darken because of the smoke of the pit. be huge then out of the smoke smoke is like whoa what is going on here but out of the smoke comes what locusts came upon the earth and to them was given again given they didn't have that power they were given the power as the scorpions of the earth have power. What is that power? The ability to inflict pain. I hope none of you have been struck by a scorpion. If you had, I probably would have heard about that war story already. Somewhere in the fellowship, I would have heard you were struck by a scorpion. In that beautiful place called Arizona, or it's some place where, the, you know, <laughs> we don't have to deal with scorpions up here. They would never survive the cold. But you, for those of you who really think, you know, I, I, I kind of jokingly say, you know, these, they're talking about, you know, scorpions. It's not a good place in contacts here. But have you ever heard of, seen, or written, or read about scorpions? They, normally they are not fatal. But they can paralyze and convulse. And make your life absolutely like you wish you were dead. That's how much power that sting and that venom has. But that's the power that will be given to them. The ability to inflict pain. They were commanded. This wasn't an option to them. They're, they're commanded not to harm the grass of the earth and any green thing or any tree. Because the nature of a locust is to what? To bring destruction upon the green thing, the trees. 
The Egyptians, historically, everyone has feared the locusts because the hordes of locusts can literally blank out the sun because they're so thick and within a 2,000 miles can devastate everything that is living, that is green. We see in Egypt, one of the plagues was what? The grasshopper, the locusts, the things, they feared the locusts. They feared the grasshopper. But here, they're commanded not to touch it, and they had to obey. Why? Because God's in control. But only, they're only to bring about the power upon what? But only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Who's that? Who are they? The 144,000 Jewish virgin males that we read about. That were evangelizing the world. Those locusts, those demonics could not touch those men. It could have been. Some believe it could have been those who were already given their life to Christ and they were sealed by Christ. They weren't able to touch them either. I'm just going to stick with those that I'm clear on the scripture that says those who had what? A mark on their foreheads. We know in the scripture who they are. I will stick with them. But no other. No one else is going to be held back from the torment, the torture, and the power of pain that these locusts will bring upon those people. Verse 5, and they were not given authority to kill them, though. You're only going to inflict pain. You will not kill them. But to torment them for how long? For five months, verse 5 tells us. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. And in those days, men will seek death. In what days? Those days that this is happening, we see right here in verse 6, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. They will try to commit suicide and God will not allow it for those five months. When they are hopelessly being, bringing about pain, striking them, stinging them with this pain that these locusts have the power to do. Those non-believers... Those who the inhabitants, those who have been rejecting, the both, those who have been rebelling and rebelling. The six seals didn't get their attention. The first four trumpets didn't get their attention. Now he says there's going to be three woes. That everyone understands that language when you say woe. But even they. Even the people, when they know this and have already experienced, they've already seen one-fourth of the population die. That's after the rapture has already happened and all those people and loved ones are gone. At what point when you are experiencing 
People gone and people dying and pain and suffering and you can't find water, clean water, uncontaminated seawater. The fish and the blood is everywhere, the death, the stench and all the picture of what we've already read, my brothers and sisters. You, of course people are going to finally wake up and know what and turn their life to God, right? No. We will find out, no. Even in today, when you watch what a drug is doing to someone, you're asking, how can they? They're destroying themselves and their families. How can they not come to God to rescue them? The alcohol is absolutely causing their, pickling their liver. How could they not come to a point that they need God? Their minds are going so squirrely. They're out of their mind. They're so in, they're, they're lost. They're paralyzed in, in, in their state of mind. How can they not come to a point of giving their life to Christ and surrender their life to Christ? And we're seeing it at the same time during this period. But we see these locuses, these, these things that are going to rise out of this smoke, out of the bottomless pit. These are not natural locuses. You get that, right? We don't know what they look like. We don't know how big they are. We don't know how small or big. We don't have any of those dimensions. We just, locuses, which tells me they'll look in particular size in some degree. But you can see this visual, this hordes of demons loosed up, up out of the earth, upon the earth. As part of the judgment of the great tribulation. And God will allow this imprisoned hordes of demonics to be released. And they are not men of any type or background that swarm the earth. And many people out there and commentators will tell you, there's, oh, these are men and these are this and that. Stick with the context and understanding of the Greek and understanding of the scripture, my brothers and sisters. Don't get wrapped up in the, the, the things that are out there on YouTubes that are just really making people not understand the simple and clarity of the scripture. This is the inescapable judgment of God. To the degree they can't even escape it by taking their own life. Why? My brother says, why? By the grace of God. Because if they did take their life, then they would be destined to hell for the rest of their life, for eternity. And he says, no, no, no. I'm going to hold you back for five months to give you to a point where you finally, yes, you're hopeless. You got to the bottom. You're, you're, out, you're out of your mind in pain. Will you finally surrender your life to me now? Because if I let you kill yourself, then it's too late. But by the grace of God, he's given you five months to get to you, come to your senses, to give your life to Christ. 
and be saved. That's why. Because there will be a come a point. Things will get so bad that they desire to die. The torment is so bad. You remember Paul in Philippians chapter 1 verses 21 through 23? You get to a point where I, 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 it is so bad I got to die, right? But his desire to die is different than the people that were going through this torment. See, Paul's death led to eternal blessing. He knew where he was going. He knew he put his trust in Jesus. But those who are tormented, death is a leap from the present torment into eternal fire. The idea of death as an escape is a demonic deception that is upon this world today. When someone says, I'm, I'm going to kill myself, is a demonic deception. Period. Now is the time of repentance. Now is the time to escape from skin and to be restored with and have hope by turning your, your life to Jesus. That speaks of you today. You're in torment. You're, you're at the end of yourself. You're gone squirrely. You're lose, you've lost hope. You're losing hope. You, you've tried everything. You've come to the end of yourself. And you're thinking and coming. That's a demonic deception. You cannot listen to that voice. Stop talking to yourself. And stop listening to those voices. You need help. You need to come see me. Immediately after the service, I need you to come up front. Because I want to pray for you. And I want you to give your life to Jesus. And if you do know Jesus, I want you to restore your, your relationship and your hope in Jesus. Not of what's going on in this world. Not what's going on in your body. God has given you victory over whatever you're going through. You must believe that. You must trust that. Psalm 119, verse 67 before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. I think that is a very powerful verse for those who find themselves today afflicted. Find themselves astray. Wandering aimlessly in life. If you know anybody who fits that description... May they be like you and they will turn to Christ and now keep God's word. To be obedient, to follow the truth and not allow the demonic deceptions to take over. And what do these locusts look like? We see in verse 7 through 10, the shape of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. I've ever looked at a grasshopper or a locust and, and say, oh, yeah, that looks like a horse for, ready for battle. Yeah, yeah, that's it. The praying mantis, now that scares me. We had like five of them. Like, and I was studying this, like, okay, are they coming out of the ground? Has some pit been opened up? I mean, the these praying mantis is everywhere. And they, they stare at you like, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. It was a good excuse of why I wasn't going to help Kathleen in the garden this time. I was like, I, these scare me, you know. 
<laughs> okay, back on track. So they're like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads were crowns. Now, that, that, the word there for crowns, it means it's Stephanos. It means victory. They're, they're, they're gonna, they have victory of something like gold. It, was, it wasn't gold. It was like gold. It's fool's gold. <laughs> Remember, it's demonic. And their faces were like the faces of men. So this is a very interesting, for those who are artists and want to sketch something out, you know, it'd be interesting what you visualize what this is. And then you throw in verse 8, and they had hair like women's hair. Now what does that really mean? And <laughs> Flowing, you know, curls, you know, <laughs> fresh out of the beautician, I, I, stylist, I don't know. But their teeth were like lion's teeth. I don't think the highlight was because they look white. Okay? If you know lion's teeth, they have, I think, three sets of teeth. I mean, they are there for chomping. Devouring. Ripping of flesh. So I don't think it was for white. Because they're white and big. And they had breastplates like the breastplates of iron. They were ready for battle. There was some soundness there. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. And they had tails like scorpions. And there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hunt men for five months. Now, this description here is where you see many will lean toward, because we struggle, we want to be able to visualize it, we want to be able to rationalize it, we want to be able to depict it, and so many today in the realm of studying of Revelation will automatically say, that sounds like military warfare to me. Have you ever seen some of the painting on the front of those, 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 those uh, Apaches and everything else? They, they make faces on it, and the helicopters, they make them really, have you ever heard that? And, and they come up, and they look kind of really like locusts. I mean, people will always assign to what, the, what they can touch today to help try to justify what they believe it is. Like horses, like gold, like the faces of men, like women's hair, and the lion's teeth. I always say, okay, with the Apaches and all these other sophisticated equipment of the military, can you show me which one looks like women's hair? You know, <laughs> you know I, I just, again, I, I look at this description and I don't lean toward trying to use the military warfare as being of today, being what's described here, because John couldn't understand it, didn't know what this stuff was back in his day. So I don't think it's helicopter gunships, that the Antichrist is right there and his face is plastered on the side of it, or one world government interest. I don't see it all fitting in the details. I keep it pretty simple. These are demonic forces that God is allowing to come about. And there are things that are about them that are so horrendous. And, 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 and it's just he couldn't even describe what he was experiencing here. And I just keep it simple, my brothers and sisters. They're evil. They're empowered to inflict pain. 
And it's going to be horrible for those who have chosen to rebel and reject God because they selfishly want to live their life like Lucifer who says, I want to be like him. Meaning, I want to be in control of my life. So what happens? There's a leader. Locusts don't have leaders, but notice here in verse 11, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew was Abaddon, but in the Greek, he has the name of Apollyon. Apollyon, and again, this both names are the same name. It's a, it's it's destruction or torment or destroyer. It's whoever this is who's kind of leading this pack, this horde of demonics is in in this name here is 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 again describing a destroyer. They're not have any other intent than to destroy. And since this is the king of these locusts, and since he had the name, these names, I lean toward it, it's, it's really Satan, or some higher-ranking leader of the demonics. And so when you lean into these, it doesn't matter at this point, in regards, there is a, 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 an assigned leader, a assigned force that's going to come upon these people. But the worst is yet to come. Why? Because verse 12 says, this is just one woe. One woe is past. The pit is open. The demonic, these locusts are out. They're inflicting pain beyond your, bringing to hopelessness. Where people want to commit themselves to suicide just to get out of their pain and torment. And God doesn't allow it. And it speaks of sequence because it says, One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. So it's not like all these three woes are happening at the same time or these trumpets are all happening at the same time. Why? Because there's a sequence in the language here. Which brings us here to the sixth trumpet. The second woe. Verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. So here's the second woe, introduces the sixth trumpet, sounded by the sixth angel. And John said, I heard a voice from the four corners, or the four horns of the four corners of that golden altar, or the, the altar of incense that we talked about in previous chapter. Where the, the prayers of the saints from you and I were rising up in the, in the smoke in front of God in the altar there. He says those, that, 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 this, this moment, this, this place here, this golden altar, the gold altar of incense is, is that representation of prayers from God's people is going to be answered in this moment through this sixth angel who's going to sound the sixth trumpet. Remember, in the tabernacle, the altar of incense, that's where they would take the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkle it on each of those horns for the people of Israel. 
John heard a voice from this place. And what did they say here in verse 14? Saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now you're reading and going, I know where Euphrates is. Some of you said, I've been, I've dipped my toe in Euphrates. I mean, some of you have experienced what the river Euphrates is. Verse 15, for the four angels who had been prepared. Notice this here. They were bound at the great river of Euphrates. And God is now telling this next angel, the sixth angel, to now bring about, we call it the trumpet, but bring about the event of releasing these four angels. I do not see these angels as good angels. Are you meaning in the Euphrates area, there are four angels that I don't see when I was over there in the war and I was at the Euphrates area? I was, I was in Iraq. I was in Syria. I was, not me, but those who were here that were part. I was there and I've been there. I've been, I've been in Turkey. That's part of where Euphrates is. Are you telling me there's four angels being held there today? Yes. They were being released by this trumpet. will be releasing the four angels who are bound there at the great river Euphrates. And so the four angels who had been prepared, notice this, they've been prepared. They had a mission, a mission that was down to the hour and day and month and year were released to what? To kill a third of mankind. Remember, one-fourth has been wiped out. Now another one-third is going to be wiped out. Of the left, those who are left behind still, right? Two billion, approximately, people are going to be wiped out. These four angels have have no necessary connection with the four angels of Revelation chapter 7, verse 1, but they might be the same four angels, or they may not be. But whoever they are, they are prepared for this mission to be unleashing this judgment of the sixth judgment, the second woe. And so when you look at this, it's very clear to me, these are bad angels with a divine purpose that God is going to use them for to bring judgment upon the inhabitants of the earth. And when they're released, these demonic locusts described earlier in the chapter were restricted to torment mankind. But these four angels are going to be allowed to bring about death in a massive scale, one-third of the mankind, at that time. And it's going to be happening around the, 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 the movement of this mission is going to start at the river of Euphrates and go across the global effect. And these angels were connected with the Euphrates River. Why the Euphrates here? But when you know the scriptures and, and understand the Euphrates River, let me give you some of those things. Why? It's not a surprise once you understand all the pieces of the puzzle here. Because Euphrates was a landmark of ancient Babylon. 
And it was the eastern front of Israel. Remember when God promised Israel the land? It's not the little part that they're struggling to keep today. It, all of, the eastern front went all the way up into Iraq. It was on the eastern front. It was all the way up into that Babylonian area. Much more land than what they're trying to keep today. But that, the enemy's always trying to take what's God's. But it's the eastern front of Israel's land. And how and when do you know when God gave that promise to Israel? When they always argue over if Israel is this land or not? Well, if they really had all of what God told them to have, which go back and read Genesis chapter 15, verses 17 through 21. That's the land that God said they were supposed to have. But it was also the boundary of the old Roman Empire, which would be revived during the Antichrist moment. During the seven year period of time. But the Euphrates River is a long part of the area known as the Fertile Crescent and is an absolute landmark in the scriptures and a very valuable uh, real estate in the Middle East. It begins at the Armenian Mountains, which is just south of Russia, and works its way through Turkey, Syria, and Iraq, and it joins with the Tigris River in the lower Iraqi area, which is the ancient Babylonian area. And it's these two rivers that are formed that form an 1,800 mile or so waterway through Iraq here. But the Euphrates was part of the original boundary of the Garden of Eden, which we see in Genesis 2.14. It's also associated with the very first sin that was committed in Genesis chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. It was also the very first place where murder took place, we see clearly in Genesis 4, 16. It was the first organized revolt against God with the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. The first war of confederation was, takes place here in Genesis 14.1. Dictatorship will come upon. It will happen. Powers of Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persian empires. Those were all three took place in this same area. You can see this is a quite the hub or foundation of activity. Why would we be surprised now at the end times during the seven-year period of tribulation that it's not going to focus around this specific area as well? We see in Revelation many places, obviously, obviously the battle of Armageddon will come about. In the plain of Megiddo will come across this land into this, this valley, and it will happen, we will see. Why does God allow this? Second Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Verse 16, we will see now an army's coming on the scene. Now the number of the army of the horsemen 
was 200 million. I heard the number of them. He didn't see them. I heard them. I heard the number. So when you see the scripture, when you hear the number, you know that's, that's the number. It's a sizable army, do you not think? Someone said, you know, we've never had that size of army. We even collected all the armies together back in the early wars did not total this amount of 200 million. And the only reason I remember this is because of 1965, a significant year, China stated that they had 200 million in their army. No one could prove that or see that. They're in the east, so a lot of people have this imagery of China being at the end times and 200 million coming and the Euphrates is going to dry up during that period of time and allow them to come across. We'll get to that when we into the scripture. So some people think that's who is, I, I, don't, I don't see that. I, again, I think this 200 million is demonic in, in nature and, and raising up a force that will come across the lands. In verse 17, and thus I saw the horses in the vision. So he had these horses, these visions in the horses. That those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue or sulfur yellow. The heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire and smoke and brimstone. And again, people will sit there and say, that must be a military thing. You know, it's a, ta- it's, a, it's a tank and the fire's coming out, smoke's coming out, the brimstone's coming out. But it, but it says out of the mouth of that who sits on a horse. So you have to look at the description and in totality and it's like, I don't see that. I don't see that being a tank or some kind of military armor here. But what's going to come out of this, whoever this demonic force is, and, and they're going to be moving fast and, and, and coming across, and they're going to be breastplates. I mean, again, they're very clear, and it's very specific, and people get into the fiery red and the blue and the yellow and how that all depicts. I'm just saying keep it simple. They're going to be prepared to come across empowered And from their mouth, by these, verse 18, by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and by the the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For For their tails are like serpents having heads. And with them, they do harm. I don't know if it's 200 million. I think it's literal because the scripture gives us the specifics. Then say like 2 million or approximately 2 million. So I go there. Some people think it's symbolic. I think these are grotesque, weird, demonic force that is allowed to come across and bring destruction. I think it's, it's a supernatural army. Something, are these army of men or this is army of demons? I lean toward army of demons. 
And so when I take a look at this, again, no one's going to be able to survive this. Who've chosen rebelliously, stiff-neckedly to say, I'm going to make it through this. I'm a prepper, I'm going to make it. I think you're fooling yourself. Why would you want to have to go, want to go through that? Let me ask you. If anyone's sitting here thinking, I'm going to go through this. I, I, I want to be tested by this. Can you please come see me afterwards? Because clearly you need to be laid hands on and I'll, I'll bring the gallon of oil because something needs to happen because you need to get in your right mind. You've been bewitched in your thinking. Why would you want to go through the tribulation? And why do you in your right mind think that our Heavenly Father, our Jesus, our, our groom wants to take you and me, the bride, through this tribulation? Before the wedding feast. Do you, do, I don't see that in the nature of my God. My Savior will. He went to the cross to keep me from this. Why would you think God wants to take you through this? I don't see it. And why would you or anyone want to? I'm not saying you because you're here, of course. But those who are not here. And we'll finish here. And this is the saddest part, my brothers and sisters, of chapter, chapter 9 right here. The verses 20 and 21. Look at, look, at, look, at your, look at your Bibles. The response of man after going through this. But the rest of mankind who are not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands. That they should not worship demons. They still wanted to worship demons after all this. And idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. They're putting their trust and they're worshiping and they don't want to give up their idols and their idols are made of all kinds of things. The little gold bars you've been storing up in your, in your basement, buried in your closet, it's not going to save them. Nor the beautiful car, the truck, the house. Nothing that you're trying to live for. Not even your favorite sports team is going to survive this. But they wouldn't give up any of that. God bless you. And they did not repent. Did you see that? Not repent in verse 20 and not repent. They did not in verse 21. No, they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries. Sorceries means their drugs. They would not give up their drugs. They will not give up their drugs or their sexual immorality, the pornea, any of that the twisted sexual immorality. They don't want to give any of that up. Or their thefts. 
They're stealing, of course. There's, there's nothing out there. They're trying to steal to find food and all kinds of things and live their lifestyles and continue to live like, they, like there's nothing going on, nothing's wrong. But do you know that's the most frightening thing about Revelation chapter 9? Is not the judgments that God sends, but it's the sins that men persist in committing. Even while God is judging them. It happens today. People, God can bring things in your life to get your attention to turn away from these things. To give your life to Christ and you are refusing to acknowledge God is trying to get your attention. Every time he's convicting your heart, you just shove that aside and justify it. Every time you drink that thing, I've got a disease because the world tells me I have a disease and I can't solve my, my drunkenness problem. The pharma, pharmaceutical, pharmakia, Corey, it's the drug companies. That's why I have a drug problem. It's not my fault. It goes down the list of justification and rationalization. And it happens today and it's going to happen even during the time when God brings these demonic things that are going to go on. You're going to just say, they're aliens. Didn't we all know they're aliens now going on? No, they're demons. They're paranoia. No, no. Their demonic forces are coming unleashed. Darkness is coming. It's here. Wrong will be right. Right will be wrong. These things, my brothers, as you study the scriptures, do not ignore what you're reading. It's the truth of God. Satan has always wanted to be worshipped. It's amazing to see how quickly things return back to normal after such calamity that we see happening in our world today. How quickly people will just go right back to the normal. We are quick to forget God's lessons and even the lessons that are come in judgment. This could be the crowning moment of human rebellion here, is it not? When even the strongest of the warnings from God will not teach or reach the human heart and bring one to repentance. But God. <laughs> but God. But God is working out his plan. And neither the sins of mankind nor the schemes of Satan will hinder him from accomplishing his will. That is for sure. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy upon our lives. We ask you, Lord, to minister to all of our hearts. to have a way in with all of our hearts. And I pray if there's anyone here today or those listening online, the Spirit of God has touched your heart to repent and give your life to Christ and be saved and have eternal life. 
to have that promise. Yes, to escape this tribulation, but that's not why we give our life to you, Lord Jesus. We believe and trust that you have paid for the penalty of our sins on that cross, and for those by faith, believe in you and you alone for that. You will apply your righteousness to our lives and wipe us as white as snow. Clean, no more sin, gone. And yes, adopt us into your family, God's family. I pray right now, Lord, if there's anyone who desires you and only you, for you, recognizing of your love for them, that they would surrender their life this morning and be saved. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. Our service continues in the foyer, of course, with the Father's Bakers and fellowship time and getting to know each other. If you're here for the very first time, I'd love to meet you. Just give me a second or come up here. I'll stay right here for those who want to come up. If you want to give your life to Christ because you're still struggling, come. You need prayer for healing. We want to anoint you with oil. We want to pray for you. That's what they, the scripture asks, for you to take that step of faith. You, if you're sitting there going, no one's praying for me. You need to take a step of faith, I'm asking. Take a step of faith and ask for prayer. Trust God. Amen?